bro, bro, bro. Yo, yo, yo. Ho, ho, ho. No, no, no. Okay. For sure, for sure, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, happy freaking belated Zachy birthday. How you feeling, oh, brother? Happy, uh, happy Tuesday, man. I'm good, dude. I'm tired <laughs> as fuck, but I'm good, man. Thank you for asking. Ah, you all fully recovered from birthday shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. I spent, uh, my whole following day hung over on the couch, uh, just like crying, you know, not like pulled a meal. Yeah. Not like yeah, I pulled a meal. <laughs> it wasn't like I was sad. I was just listening to like an audio book that I really like, And I just kept crying and I was like, fuck, <laughs> this is so nice. I'm waiting for the moment for that series to like fully complete and you just be bawling in tears. Cause it's I'll, over. I'll be, de- I'll be dead. Bro. I've grew up with this series. I'll never, I'll never recover. <laughs> How many books is it in now? It's 16 books now. Oh. And it's still amazing. I don't know how. Jesus. Could you imagine writing 16 books in a, of a series? Bro, I, yeah. I can't even imagine I've lived over 16 years. I don't it's have hard enough. like the commitment capacity for that. I have commitment in the shoes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, but then again, also writing like 16 400 plus page books is insane. Wild. Yeah. I'm like, how do you have that many stories in your head? And how do you convey them? That is insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you have that creative capacity. I think about that with Stephen King. I mean, that dude has written dozens of books and they're all, they're all at least over 600 pages and the bulk of them are over a thousand. I don't know if I could ever write that big of a book. Like seriously, if I think about myself book writing, it's like, ah, I'm getting a good, like 150 pages. About my happy medium right there. If I were to write a thousand page book, that would be like the work of a lifetime on its own. I think you could do it. I totally believe you could do that. God, yeah. I I could see you just cranking them out. It's like (laughs) the textbook of Zachary. The problem is I would I would start to write and I would get like 20 or 30 pages in, and it would be a couple months later, and I would feel better at writing then. And I would look back at the 30 pages I just wrote and be like, oh God, this is not up to my standard anymore. You go back and start over again. Yeah, it would be the problem of perfectionism. I would love to read that book. And then none of that actually gets deleted. And you just keep writing the same thing in like just a grown up version. It's essentially over and over and over. (laughs) Well, that's kind of one of the things that I like about the book series that I'm reading too. Is like, I mean, I think his first book was published in 2000 or 2001. And the 16th book was published in 2020. So, you know, he's been writing this one series for 20 years. You can see how much better of a writer he is now. Not that he was a bad writer then, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Cause I actually, I just totally, I think I told you this. I totally cleansed my, my IG, my gram. And mm-hmm. when I was doing that, I was looking back on my old stuff. Like, oh man, like I've definitely become a better writer. This is, I'm imagining you with like proud some of palm fronts with holy water on them. And there's just like incense burning and you're just flicking holy water onto your phone. <laughs> <laughs> just purifying it. You know, no, I did that to my room. Well, ish, I cleansed my room, but back in the day, this was during the heavily channeling modes and that whole part. Um, I remember actually like charging my IG and charging like whatever it was I was doing, like the microphone that I'm using now mm-hmm. and just do it, putting energy into those things for that purpose. Dude, we charged our microphones together. We did. Yeah. We charged other things together too. <laughs> I don't even, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even know what he's talking about. No, nope. excited to hear about it. <laughs> and it was consensual. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. 
I can't wait for your first ED story, whatever that you can tell to go on us on the microphone. Mm. Probably can't, but I guess to come to me and I can enjoy it. Maybe yeah. you can't do you'll that either. Them. Yeah, you'll hear them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually but, one of the weird things that I that I ran into yesterday is that, you know, you have a bunch of people who you've seen and then you have to wait to get them treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're back in the waiting room. And I had to go out and talk to these folks who I had I had interviewed three hours prior and my shift was over, but I was like, I'm not leaving until these people get seen. So I like went back out and talked to them and like made sure and like, you know, asked them if how much longer they were willing to wait because we had had patients with like strokes and, you know, pulmonary embolisms, which are basically lung strokes um, and things like that going on. And I was like, you know, I, I can't get your mom in for her headache right now. Cause there's people who are having some really serious conditions, blah, blah, blah. And so I went and I followed the doctor around and just like pestered him basically until we were able to do something for her. It took, I was there for like an extra 45 minutes or something like that. But I was talking to the the mom out there and they couldn't make a decision about whether or not they wanted to stay unless they kind of knew what was going on. And I was like, how can I tell this woman what is going on without violating HIPAA in the middle of a waiting room. You know what I mean? It was, it was a weird position that I'd never thought I'd be in before. So you sharing that made me very fucking proud of you, bro. Well, you'll have to say, this is how we're going to kick off this little birthday episode because the level of which you care for people and what you do and how you show up is beyond imaginable. I can't imagine being in that situation and actually being cared for in that manner. And it's something that's so rare in our system. And this was one of the things I was saying to you, like you bring such a grounding force into that place, but also just such a level of love and that ability to be present with people in that way makes such a fucking difference when they're in that place your patients will be so lucky to have you. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's like, I have like moments where I can absorb it. And then moments where I'm like, Ooh, no, I'm uncomfortable. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm fucking crying. So (laughs) that's not new. This last month. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, man. I thank you. I really, I do appreciate it. It's weird. You know, um, like I'm sure you've experienced this. Like I know you have in the moment you just feel like you're just doing your duty. You know, it doesn't even really feel like, Oh, like I'm going to go out of my way for this person, blah, blah, blah. It's just kind of like, no, like this is my job. Like my job is get this person right taken care of or whatever. Right. And it's unacceptable that they've been here for three hours for a fucking migraine, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then you look back on it and you're like, Oh shit. Cool. That was really freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, man. And I think that's the beauty, right? It's just, it's a natural expression of who you are, your heart and what you hear and you're meant to do. And I think that's how we know, right? This is really what you're meant to do. It's just naturally you doing what you do and people benefit from it. It's gangster. Gangster, gangster, gangster. You know, the funny thing is like all the, all the moments that I cried over the weekend, listening to the book were like moments when somebody stood up to something like stood up to a force that they couldn't possibly ever 
be able to actually stand against to like defeat. Mm-hmm. And they did it for duty or for the people they cared about or for courage or whatever. And this is, you know, not what I did, right? Like I, <laughs> I stayed like 30 minutes past my shift, 40 minutes past my shift, you know, to, to talk to a patient. That's not, you know, the same thing, but there's like some subconscious part of me that I think relates those things together. And, you know, was willing to make those is like wants to make those types of decisions so that I can, you know, place my, myself in my own little story or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those things that bring out those emotions, they speak to true parts of us. So I really, I can't wait to see, I was just like leaping ahead in my mind. It's like, I can't wait to see you being the leader in training future physicians, you know, how to really show up in this extended manner. Just little, little mini Zacks, little Zach minions. <laughs> oh no. I just imagining a bunch of people with like my hairstyle running around. Uh, well i have some fun questions for you and then i think that was a beautiful segue into it um but for you brother brother if you zoom back to younger zach maybe in his early 20s and think about who you are now and who you've become what's most surprising to you that's a really good question Hmm. I think the thing that's probably most surprising to me is how I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. Part of it is how much, how comfortable I am by myself now, but there's more to it than that. That's like one manifestation of something uh, bigger that I'm trying to pin down and articulate. Mm-hmm. It's when I was younger, I guess, I mean, I guess you'd call it codependence, really. Like I really wanted to keep myself busy, to be around people all the time, um, to be in a relationship all the time, to be with my friends all the time when I wasn't in my relationship, that kind of stuff. And now I just kind of feel like take it or leave it mm-hmm. for just about everything. Um, you know, there are things that obviously I have attachments to and that I want. But a lot of the time, you know, if I take a conscious second to just look at that thing, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pull, pulled and driven towards something. And I'm like thinking about it incessantly. And then I'll just take a conscious moment to go like, what would happen if I like, what if I just didn't get it, you know? And I just think about it and I'm like, oh, that wouldn't be that bad. And then like immediately it kind of dissolves that. And I'm just like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing then. And if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. And I'll still be fine right here. So I think that's probably the most surprising thing for me. Yeah. And I know that was something you were very intentional about over the last year. So it's, I just love being able to have these spaces where you can reflect on this and be like, oh shit, like there's that thing. Like, oh shit, man, that worked. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we think about this past year, what, what are you most proud of yourself? I mean, that was a lot this last year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's one of them. Uh, You know, my, my ability to be really comfortable with myself and to uh, know how to sit with like loneliness, know how to sit with anxiety and stuff like that. So that those things, they still arise, but 
they have almost no control over my life anymore because I'm not scared of them anymore. Like I know I've sat in them so much and I just know how to be with them in a way that just dissolves them um, or makes them rich and uh, enriching rather than something to be avoided and to be scared of. Uh, I would say probably feeling like I have a sense of duty and a sense of purpose that goes beyond me now. Uh, You know, I've said this on the podcast before. I feel like everybody's journey meets them exactly where they're at. When I decided that I wanted to go into medicine, it was for selfish reasons. And obviously, like I still have some of those selfish reasons. Like they didn't go away. They're just no longer the focal point of there, there's still benefits, but they're not things that keep me going. And the way that I think that's evolved for me is like in the rest of my life, whenever I get attached to an outcome and I, and I worry, you know, do I feel prepared for this? Like, will this other person perceive this as valuable, blah, blah, blah. Right. What I just remind myself is like, you know, this is not about you. This is not about you looking good. This is not about you being impressive. This is not about you gaining personally. This is about this other person um, in whatever capacity, right? You, you know, you name the situation and I, I name the benefit that I want them to receive from it. Um, and I, when I make things about that, it's just like, I just know that it will work out. And I think that's been something that I've been really proud of. I remember those conversations we had about you trying to figure out what that purpose was. So from your words now, what is that purpose? And can you share just a little bit about like when you started to really realize what that was? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Great question. Uh, yeah. You're fucking, you're, you're hitting me with the grand slams the today. Yeah. With the Denny's grand slams today. <laughs> <laughs> He's just throwing pancakes at his computer screen. Um I was at, yeah, I was actually going to tell this in the context of when I, when I kind of first realized it and I was doing some of John Wineland's work and I was doing this particular type of Qigong meditation for the first time. He calls it just the Qi generator, but basically you hold three positions for, you know, some number of minutes and each position is more difficult on your body to hold. And you focus on your breath and drawing energy into your body and you focus on feeling the, at the end of it, you focus on feeling outward into the world, into the universe, um, while holding this discomfort and keeping your body and your nervous system very calm while feeling outward. And the idea is to, to be able to stay strong in the face of adversity, um, and to make, and to make things others focused rather than on your own discomfort or your own inner mentations. And, towards the end, he goes like feeling into your heart, press out your deepest gifts into the world. And I, you know, my arm, like I had my hands up over my head for like five or six minutes. Then I'm like in a squat. And so my legs and my arms are shaking and I'm, you know, he encourages you to smile and to like relax your stomach and to relax your face and all this stuff. So I'm in this really deeply uncomfortable space and I'm feeling outward. And I had this, these tears running down my face because my heart was so open in the moment. And I remember having this vision of like uh, a, a series of patients. It was kind of like a Rolodex of images. And it was a series of patients, like a mother holding her child, um, a woman really, you know, really scared in a hospital bed, uh, elderly people really terrified. And I remember 
feeling this intense urge to protect them. Um, and I didn't really know exactly what I was protecting them from, but kind of what I deduced from it was like the idea of protecting them from something bigger than them. Right. And the idea is like protecting them from a system that I feel like has failed them as much as it has helped them, um, which is kind of what I see as, as modern medicine. It's like, we do our best, but we're flawed and we hurt as many people as we help or not hurt, but you know, we don't help as many people as we do help. And so that's kind of what I felt like my duty was. How do you help them? What does that mean? I, I make them feel less lost and less, less alone in um, what feels like a meat grinder. I mean, yeah. even before, so when I remember being 15 or so, and my grandmother got really sick, was in the hospital, she ended up passing away. But, you know, I wasn't close to that at the time, but I remember visiting her in the hospital a couple of times and just seeing there were a handful of people who really were present and took care of her and really knew her. And then most of the time it was just kind of like, one person would come and collect some information and then leave. And then another person would come and nobody was communicating well enough. And a lot of things were falling in between the cracks and all that kind of stuff. And now that I work in the system, I see, uh, you know, one, how that happens, like how the system is set up that allows that to happen. And, you know, just really like with anything, like we get so busy that it's hard to communicate adequately and all these things. There's a lot of human error and there's a lot of systemic error and I see over as the hours or as the days progress, how people feel less and less human and less and less individualized and more and more like somebody who is crying out for help in a room full of people who have the power to help and nobody can hear them is what it feels like when I look at them. And for me, I know I can't change the system by myself, but I can look at people like they matter. I can listen to their problems like they matter because they do matter to those people. And even if I can't actually change what's going on, I can make them feel like at least somebody understands why they're scared, which happened yesterday. You know, I had a patient who uh, was getting treatment for cancer, came in twice in the same day because she was having what's called atrial fibrillations. It's where the top of your heart the top chambers of your heart flicker rather than pump. Um, and we were, you know, nobody put her on a blood thinner, which is something that you have to calculate a score and figure out if you need to do, because if the heart, if the top of the heart doesn't pump, the blood gets swirled around. And when the blood gets swirled around, it can clot. And then a clot can get sent to your brain and you can have a stroke. Nobody wants this patient who's already suffering from chemotherapy and cancer to have a stroke, right? That'd be terrible. So I was talking to her, I was, I was taking some of her histories so that I could adequately calculate the score. And she was so scared to go on a blood thinner. One, she didn't understand how they work, right? So that's one factor. And two, so much in her life was changing. She said like, so much is in flux and I don't want to put something into the mix that I feel like will be permanent in, in case I don't actually need it once all of this is over in my life. And I just listened to her and talked to her and reassured her and all that. And by the time she was done, she went from feeling tense and scared and curled up on herself to just kind of like relax. And she had like tears in her eyes and she just thanked me for taking the time to talk to her and be there with her. And I felt like I made an actual difference. So that's what I mean. 
I fucking love that, bro. And like that person in that moment aside, you know, there's everything that they're facing. There's just all the stress and fear and being lost and confused and this treatment and this emergency situation on top of normal day to day, right? Like when is someone actually ever even heard? And for you to, to give the ability to really be there with them, basically for all of that within one moment is nearly life-changing, man. Like there's those people that you come in and you just have like a brief engagement engagement with, but they stick with you and remember them for the rest of your life, even if it was mm-hmm. for 30 seconds. So I was like feeling like that is just such a gift that you bring for these people. Thank you. That's all. This has always been one of the most touching things that I've enjoyed in life is meeting somebody in passing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I kind of, why I liked working menial jobs, like in coffee shops and, you know, being a server and that kind of stuff. Like I liked working, I say menial jobs. That's, that's really, that's really shitty for me to say. But like when I was doing it, I felt like I could have, I could have been doing more, but I, I don't have any disrespect for those jobs. I loved them actually a lot when I was working in them. And the thing that I loved about them was that I could interact with, uh, I could interact with tons of different people. And I had so many like nice interactions with people where you just like run into somebody and you just start like joking and you both start laughing and you leave the situation smiling and you feel like each of you touched each other um, in, in a way and uh, you'd never see each other again. And you, a part of you knows that. And there's something that almost makes it sweeter because of that. So I kind of like that. Love that, bro. <laughs> Um, you know, we talked about what your purpose is and this is really these deep gifts that you bring in presence and interaction with people. If you were down the road and you did have the ability to make this macro level change and really change the system to help people in the ways that you know they need it, what does that look like? How would you change the system to just make it perfect. I mean, I could, I could talk about what I want to see, but that doesn't mean that I know how to do it. Right. Okay. I mean, if I, yeah, cause <laughs> I don't, I, I don't what know. What would because, you like to do? Or what would your heart say? What would you like to do if you had the ability to do anything? To um, impact. I mean, I would one like for people to feel like they're being taken care of um, even when we're not always there. Right. And that doesn't always take a lot. That just takes, presence and intention, you know, you can still have somebody sitting on a bench for three hours, as long as you told them, Hey, this wait might be a really long time, but I want you to know, we're not going to forget about you. Um, and it's going to, it might seem like we will for a second, but I promise you that if we're not seeing you, it's because we have a very good reason to just letting them know. Um, so there's that. I think the medical system, not feeling like it knows everything about like, like it has the best answers all the time. Um, we know a lot and we acknowledge that we don't know everything, but when we acknowledge that we don't know everything, our solution is like, Oh, well, we need to continue the same process that we've been doing until we find that answer. And until we find that answer, we're just going to accept that we don't know it, blah, blah, blah. Versus being like, well, maybe other fields have the answer from a different me- like methodology of getting the answer. And maybe there's some merit to that. Um, so one, that, like, I don't feel like we need to be cutting off uh, other practitioners' legs um, when all they want to do is help um, and have more time to do it. 
those are probably the two biggest things I think. Uh, but also, I mean, the idea that, you know, I don't think people should be leaving the hospital in bankruptcy because they got a week of treatment. You know, that's a, that's a big fucking problem as well. And that's more of an economic systemic change, like an economic political change in our society. Yeah. That in itself was why I left my MPH and the system itself. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I love your answers, bro. I just, I'm really just enjoying. So I hope you're enjoying being able to speak <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying I'm just, the shit out of this. Yeah, yeah. I'm appreciating your, your time. I'm going to take this back to you now. For you to get to this person who you are now with these thoughts, with, these, with this love for people and this desire to really just help. What would you say has been the most impactful thing for yourself throughout your entire life to get to this exact now? pain feeling unloved yeah feeling unworthy um i mean the biggest thing that comes to mind is being cheated on mm-hmm. um that was you know yeah i mean i knew it was going to be an important thing for me when it happened i knew that it happened for a reason i didn't make that didn't mean that i liked it or that i was any less hurt or that i was any less enraged and all these different things but um, yeah, that like the, there, and, and probably some of the, some of the situations leading up to that, uh, I felt really disrespected, unseen, uncared for, unloved, unlovable, felt like I was cursed. Uh, like there had been a curse placed on my family and I, you know, no matter how hard I tried, uh, there would be nothing I could do to break it. And I saw how much potential I had inside um, and how good of a person I could be. And I just felt, and, and like the potential of the life that I could live. And I felt like uh, there was something that I couldn't see about me that made me fundamentally wrong. And that that's why nobody loved me. That's why people couldn't love me. And it's not like I didn't have love in my life. I did, but that's how I felt. Uh I felt like I would always be doomed by this intangible metaphysical weight that I couldn't find and therefore could not remove and do anything about. And the years following of feeling like I was continued to be either unseen or misseen, misinterpreted, misrepresented by myself um, and by other people. And in reality, accepting treatment into my life that, uh, I, that I didn't deserve, but that I accepted, um, and just the pain of, of cycling through that, of feeling on un- feeling unloved and unlovable, feeling incredibly lonely and, having all of the things that I tried to do to remedy that loneliness lead me to deeper states of loneliness and deeper transgress and having deeper transgressions. Um, I guess like raked against my soul is what it felt like. And uh, eventually finding myself on the other side of it and my own personal strength and my own resolve to never give up on myself because there were some times there where I almost did. Um, 
there were some times there where I, where I contemplated taking my own life. And uh, I just want to encourage anybody out there who's had those thoughts or who is having those thoughts, like, trust me, what's on the other side of what you're experiencing is a sense of deep inner peace that cannot be spoken to, to speak about it would be to be reductive towards it and an immense inner strength. And I encourage you to stick around and find yourself on the other side of it. Uh, Because when I did not only did I, you know, did I just feel more peaceful and did I feel more happy and more powerful within myself but all of the pain that I had experienced and all of the potential that I knew existed within me started to become activated or transformed when we're talking about the pain and made me able to become the person who I saw the potential in and made me able to make a difference in the world rather than just in my own life. Uh, That pain gave me a sense of purpose. I was going to ask you a question. You may have answered it with that very last statement, brother. You took the experience of immense pain. And now that's taken you into what? Purpose. Purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Understanding. Mm. When I, I think the difference between when I was younger and now is not so much any fundamental difference in like my gifts or the way that I think about people or feel about people. Like I always cared about people. I always had some level of empathy when I look back in hindsight. Um, And I always considered myself a good person, uh, even though I made mistakes and hurt people. It was just that I hadn't experienced true loss and true pain um, in a way where I could actually understand the depth of people's suffering. And I'm not saying that I suffered the way that, I mean, there are plenty of people about plenty of people in the world who have suffered far greater than I did. Um, But being, but being having lived through my own personal hell or whatever that looked like, I can understand to some extent what that might be like for another person. And because of that, the idea of hurting somebody, uh, is irreprehensible to me. And I, I think that's, that's the word. Um, it just, it's, I used to, as a young man, for example, take pleasure in making another guy feel bad about himself. Like whether I was on the wrestling mat and I hurt him or um, I was at the gym and I just like outbenched him or whatever, or I, I was at the coffee shop and his girlfriend hit on me in front of him or like whatever it might've been. I felt like, now I feel shame. Then I felt power because it meant that I was more than somebody else in some way. But the only way that you can ever want to feel more than somebody else is because you feel less than other people. Um, and you see it as like a, a, uh, a remedy or like a balancing of the scales, but now I sit in the neutral position of feeling equal to everybody 
Um, it's either that my journey is just not as developed yet, or I'm further along my path. You know, there's no greater than or less than, and, uh, just like a sense, like a, a sense of well-being, a sense of purpose, and a sense of self-knowing, and I don't need to harm anybody or receive anybody's validation in order to feel like I belong and like I deserve to live the life that I live. I love you. You're fucking an amazing human being, bro. Thank you, bro. <laughs> For those moments of intense pain, when someone's really going through it what can you, would you like to share for that person on how to be able to deal with it and take themselves through? One, know that it gets better. Know that uh, all feelings and all thoughts are transient and all circumstances in life are transient. Um, On one hand, we feel like we want to die in those situations because we actually are experiencing a death. There's a set, there's a piece of us that's dying and we might have thoughts of some permutation of the idea that uh, I, this is unbearable. I can't go on. And you're right. It is unbearable and yet you will bear it. And the part of you that bears it, is and the part of you that doesn't bear it is the part of you that wasn't strong enough to do that and the part of you on the other side is the distilled purified refined version of who you are so understand that it's all transient also understand that the concept and the feeling that you are unlovable and that there is no love in your life and that you could never be seen that you can never be valued that you could never be understood and that no one could ever possibly love you is just an idea it's just a thought It's a powerful thought, um, and it has bent the wills of many people to do harm to themselves and others, but only if you give it the power to do that. Understand that there is love in your life. You might just be looking for love in a specific way that is not available to you at the moment, but I encourage you to understand that you might have been using that form of love as a crutch for the majority of your life. And now it is time to understand that love comes in many forms. Actually, love comes in all forms. You just have to know how to see it and feel it. So if you feel unloved, for example, um, you know, maybe you've had a situation where you're, where you have become estranged from your family, or maybe you've just gone through a breakup, or maybe you've had a falling out with a friend and you're seeking love in those areas, I encourage you to look at where the love is coming from in all the other areas of your life. <clears throat> and it might be, you know, Paul's guides say this, and I love it so much. It changed my life when I read it was, <clears throat> if you ask God for love, you will receive it, but you have to be willing to accept it in whatever form it comes to you. And I think they give the, uh, <clears throat> I think they give the analogy of like, you ask for love and you might just have a dog run up to you at the park like run away from their owner and run up to you at the park and like lick your hand and jump on your leg and stuff like that. And that's a form of love, right? Um, You might just have a cat do like a really slow blink at you. Uh, You might come across just a really nice person in your day-to-day life. Um, Let's say you work at a coffee shop and someone might just walk up and 
buy their coffee and just look at you like you matter and wish wish you a good day. And that might be a form of love, even though it's impersonal, it's a, it's actually love. And so I encourage you to f- see where the love is coming from in your life. And in the same way that it can be difficult to receive compliments at first, um, do yourself the service of sitting in the discomfort of receiving love. A lot of people say they want love. And then when love comes to them, they reject it because they don't have the self-esteem to hold it. Uh, But part of the way that you develop the self-esteem to hold love is to sit in the discomfort of trying to accept it in the first place. Um, That's, that's one, that's one facet of it. So those are, those are some of the things that I have to say to that. So I want to give love back to you and it's not going to come from me though. (laughs) What would loving little Zach like to say to you right now? Hmm. You're a superhero. That's fucking cool. I was at the gym yesterday uh, after my shift and I was, I had done some deadlifts and I was doing some deficit deadlifts. I was like a, my accessory work. And I was in like a, I was in a tank top and like little shorts. So, you know, I was like, I had like bulging muscles and everything like that. And there was this mom who was picking her kid up from the daycare at the gym <clears throat> and the deadlift area that I was in is like seven or eight feet away from like the little walkway that the, they have to walk past after the daycare. This, you know, three or four year old boy is walking with his mom, holding her hand and he like stops and like, she, you know, gets yanked by his hand and he's just staring at me and he's standing directly in front of me, maybe six or seven feet away as I'm starting my set of, or as I'm like beginning my set of deadlifts. So I do the first rep and he looks over at me and he's like wide eyes and he's just smiling and like beaming at me. And he was looking at me like I was a Marvel superhero. And I just smiled at him in between my reps and like gave him a wink or something like that, or just smiled at him and like looked him in the eyes and like nodded at him, something of that. I gave him some gesture of acknowledgement and I kept going and he just stood there with his mom and just watched my whole, (laughs) my whole set until I was done. And I just, I felt like a superhero. Um, And I didn't care that I was buff or anything like that. I just was happy that I made some little kid happy. And I was hoping on some level that that affects him later on in his life to make healthy decisions, whatever that looks like for him, be it mentally or physically. So that's kind of, that's where that answer kind of came from. (laughs) I love that. So my final question then on note of this, which Marvel hero are you then? Um, (laughs) I think my, my brain says Dr. Strange because it makes sense. Right. Right. But uh, my heart says Captain America. Okay. And so does my hair. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> and so does America's ass so. America's ass <laughs> yeah I was thinking about that for you and I was like it's either actually my first um, response was image of Stark and being very selfless though this is this is the story arc of what I see of Zach's life from Stark into self-sacrifice and saving the entire world at his own life expense. And then I thought of the other end of cat and just being fucking selfless, Mr. Cap for the world and is America's ass just because of it. America's so. ass. Just because, just because he can, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need to have that ass. No, thank you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you. Um, I, I always think about, like we've talked about it before. I probably on the podcast as well of like that scene where 
um, Tommy Lee Jones throws a grenade into the group of them doing jumping jacks at boot camp, and he's still mm-hmm. like the skinny 125 pound soaking wet version of himself. And mm-hmm. everyone, all these tough guys like run away and he throws himself, wraps his own body around the grenade and tells all these people who have ridiculed him and made him feel like shit about himself to run and to get away. And he's like, I don't every, every discretion that was like lodged against him no longer mattered. All, all that mattered was doing the right thing, which was protecting people. And that scene makes me cry every fucking time. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like starting to cry right now, actually. <laughs> I've like, been crying this whole episode. <laughs> oh my God, bro. Yeah. You share that moment. I'm like, oh yeah, that your cap. That's, that's, that's the one right there. <laughs> um, any final words you'd like to share for the audience? I'm, this is sounds, sounds so sea world cheesy, but like believe in yourself, you know, yeah. truly. Um, I'll try and say it in a way that's not so derivative and, and just kind of goes into your box of heuristics really do believe that you matter and that you make a difference because you do make a difference. Don't get caught up on how big or small that difference might be or what that difference might look like and learn to accept the gifts that you have because there's only one you. We've all heard that before. There's only one you. You have a unique personality a unique way of communicating, a unique way of being in the world. And therefore you have a unique gift and a unique way of impacting people in the world. And instead of wishing that you could impact the world the way that another person does, start to fall in love with the way that you naturally impact the world. And your life will feel so full. That's what I have to say. Love it, love it, love it. Love you, love you, love you. Love you too, bro. And thank you, everybody, for being here with us, with Zach and I, and for giving us this space to be able to share our hearts with you. Zach, you are a master heart sharer. So thank you for being so heartful. Neil, you are a masturbator. Yes, I I am. (laughs) (laughs) Normalize it. You heard it here, folks. Normalize masturbating. <laughs> <laughs>